3: This is episode 155 of Mora for September 12th, 2015. Welcome back listeners to yet another episode of Alohomora, Muggledent.com's global reread, of the Harry Potter series, and yet there's not that many of them left. Oh. I'm Michael Harley.
0: I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Allison Sigurd. And our guest this week is Stephanie, who is known on the main site as Yo Rufus on Fire. Welcome, Stephanie. <laughs> Woo. Thanks, guys.
3: Have you put that fire out yet? <laughs> 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 or is it like, is it eternally burning? Is it, is it fiend fire?
4: I think it's eternally burning. It's a branch of Galbraithian fire,
5: right? Yes. yes. Oh, yes. Fancy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah.
4: Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. Um, my name is Stephanie. I'm 25. I'm a graphics coordinator, and I live in Rhode Island. And you like long walks on the beach? And I love <laughs> long walks on the beach. <laughs> what, uh, what Hogwarts house are you? Um, I am a Hufflepuff.
0: Yay! Ooh, it's a very Hufflepuff episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: We're doing, the, we're doing the secondary houses again. That happens a lot. It does happen yeah.
0: a lot. <laughs> hey, but it's the age of Hufflepuff now, remember? It has been <laughs> officially cool. inaugurated. All hail yes, the Hufflepuffs.
3: To, <laughs> to compensate for Pottermore basically shutting down for a little while again, we're going to say it's the age of Hufflepuff. Didn't she push? say
4: she thinks it's the age of the Hufflepuff?
3: Well, well, if Rowling thinks it's the age of the Hufflepuffs, then it's the age of the Hufflepuffs.
0: That, yeah, I she's suppose. the one who tweeted it, so... <laughs> I suppose you're right. It is here. It
4: has a. But is it canon? No, I'm just. kidding.
3: Oh gosh. I don't know what I say.
4: <laughs> no, I don't get me Cat into is that. lying okay? and
3: wait for the age of the Ravenclaws, right? Yeah.
4: Oh. No, it's okay. Ravenclaws are the people behind the Hufflepuffs, so you know what <laughs> you know what they say behind every Hufflepuff there's a great Ravenclaw. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, how did you get into Harry Potter? What's your story with Harry?
2: Um, so I started reading Harry Potter when I was about nine, and. Um, I think I just read them like when I was too young because I didn't really understand them too much. Um, but I blew through the first three pretty quickly. And then I got the fourth one. And by the fourth one, I was like pretty hooked. Um But like as far as like the fandom and all of that stuff, I got into it pretty late. Like the first time that I got to get a book at midnight was Half-Blood Prince. And I didn't know anything about like the... Uh, all the premiere, like the midnight releases and all that stuff. I just Mm -hmm. knew that it was getting released at midnight. So (laughs) I had my mom take me to Stop and Shop, which is like a local grocery (laughs) store. Stop and (laughs) Shop, baby. Yeah, I (laughs) know. And, um, and they had like a little display of it. So she, I got to get my book there and take it home and read it. Um, but for the seventh one, it what was really awesome was I got to go into Boston and go see Harry and the Potter's play before the release of the seventh book. And was in, like, this huge, massive, like, area with, like, thousands of other Harry Potter fans. And it was awesome. I
4: remember that event. I didn't go,
2: but I remember it. It was really, really great.
3: So you made up for Lost Time.
2: Yeah, I try to. And um, just love it so much, and I just want to get into it as much as I can now, so.
3: You're still on a good track record now that you're on Mora, finally. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Thank you so much. And we we have you here for chapter 5 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which is The Fallen Warrior. So listeners, make sure to read that chapter before our discussion on today's episode so you can get the most out of what we're talking about today.
4: See, it's funny. You said The Fallen Warrior too, and I always thought the, always the was the... in there, but
3: it's, it's not. not. I always say The Fallen Warrior. So don't read The Fallen Warrior, because that's not a chapter. Read <laughs> Fallen Warrior, which, which you know, that's yeah, it fine,
4: just I, it does. I don't know why the the isn't in there, but
3: it's Cause, fine. Because it's the fallen warrior, not just any, but fallen warrior. <laughs>
4: yeah, I get. I guess.
3: But yeah, whatever. That's true. Mm, that's whatever. something. That's something we'll talk about. Beef, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> get there.
0: But before we get there, we're going to recap our comments from chapter four. And our first one is an email sent to us by Chelsea. And she says, there's one thing that's always bugged me about the protection Harry has against Voldemort. It was said that Voldemort couldn't touch Harry at Pervet Drive until he was 17 because of the blood magic, right? But he got some of Harry's blood when he came back in book four, which would mean that he has the blood that is essentially protecting Harry from him. So couldn't that mean that he could enter the area since he shares the blood now with Harry?
4: Um, I mean, you would think so, but hasn't Joe, I feel like Joe has addressed
0: this. Yeah, it seemed am, it, it am seemed familiar, but I don't remember what she said.
3: Well, I'm mm. I'm not sure if this is actually canon or not, but it just seems like, mm, it doesn't seem like necessarily taking that blood protection in because the the other part is that Harry's actually a a relative. Yeah, of the Dursleys. Voldemort's not a <laughs> relative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I guess if we go back in the timeline, they're very, very, very distantly related. Right. Um, but not enough for that to enact. Because I, I, from the sense that we get, um, this only work, seems to work with close relatives.
4: Yeah, and I feel like it's as much blood magic as it is love magic. Yeah. yeah. that makes sense, you know, since the sacrifice was for Harry and not for Voldemort. um,
3: yeah because so, yeah, part of the element of it is is that petunia Dumbledore calls it love and there's kind of a lot of discussion about you know deep 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 <laughs> down in their hearts um <laughs> but uh, but it's uh, you know there the, she I think the thing we've talked about is that she took him in which was the base stipulation yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's
0: what I was gonna say was that she not willingly but she did Accept him in
4: begrudgingly,
0: which doesn't translate to Voldemort. And so I think that would block
3: that out.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, like Kat said, the blood isn't the whole thing. It's there's the love magic works into that too. It's not just the blood. Yep. Yeah. And wouldn't it make for much a much less exciting story if Voldemort could just go knocking on all the doors <laughs> he wants to knock on to get everything he wants? Right. I would
4: love to see. Voldemort on Private Drive. Oh I my gosh. Like, you feel like it's weird seeing Dumbledore there, like, in your mind? Just picture Voldemort instead. Can you imagine? It's comical. It's comical.
0: Next to the company car and the
5: yeah.
0: hose pipe. trying
4: to serve him that floating <laughs> pastry or the floating cake thing.
0: Oh, well, something happy-ish, funny-ish? We've got an audio boom to listen to.
1: Hello, I'm Dora, a.k.a. DoraNinFa, on the website. In the Fallen Warrior chapter, Harry calls Hedwig his, I quote, companion, his one great link with the magical world, whenever he had been forced to return to the Dursleys. Now, I wonder, had Hedwig survived, would they have taken her along on their journey after the wedding, or else would she have appeared on a windowsill at Grimmauld Place or outside the tent, um, even if they decided not to, not to take her along? Would that have meant that we would have got more news from the Wizarding World and more consistently when the trio was essentially cut off and completely isolated from everyone else in canon. Um, And how would that have changed the story, if at all, do you think? Love the show, and thanks for a chance to contribute. You're all amazing. I think it's, it's an interesting thought that
0: maybe they could have stayed connected more had they brought the owls along.
4: Yeah, I mean, I had never thought of it that way, but I... As sad as that made me, as sad as that death made me, um, I actually think that it is better that she's not with them. I
0: agree. because, actually, And I I've agree. said this
4: before when I defended Harry in book five about how he needed to go through that time in order to make the tough decisions that he makes later in the series. And I feel like they had to be alone, completely alone, to be desperate enough to try the crazy things they had to do. Um, And that includes Hedwig because anybody who is used to living with animals or having a pet, suddenly when you're without one, it sucks. Um, You get lonely really fast. And I feel like that was a very important part of Harry's journey, as terrible as that was because you all know I cried a lot when Hedwig, uh, when she did what she did. So it was rough, but I think very important.
3: When she did what she did, she was like, "I'm gonna go off and die now." <laughs> oh! Don't say
4: the D word.
3: <laughs> don't say the D word. Then we—I don't think we can talk about Deathly Hallows.
4: But... <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> we'll just and skip yeah, this that one. That might not work.
2: Is, isn't there a part in the series though where, like Hedwig, they can't use her because she's too noticeable?
4: Yeah. Yes, because, so don't yeah. you
2: think, like that? I kind of that wouldn't really work in Deathly Hallows if she was still alive because.
3: Yeah, they wouldn't
2: Ro- be able to use her much because she would they, she would give away their place.
3: Rowling actually, this it, this is interesting because it's a combo of Hedwig's death. Most people tend to immediately cite as Cat did, kind of the her symbolic, the the reason she dies symbolically. But um, as you just said, Stephanie, she also dies for a very practical reason for the plot, um, which is that Rowling did note. Snowy owls are not native to the UK. Right. So she would be recognized in a heartbeat and that is noted in some of the books. Um and the other issue is um kind of ties into what you said Cat about the loneliness, but the plot would not work if Hedwig was able to relay messages and keep them up to date about what's going on in the wizarding world because like you said Cat, the isolation and the un- I think to the the lack of awareness of what's going on in the wizarding world is very important like when we get to um godric's hollow harry and hermione don't even know that it's christmas yeah um they've lost that much sense of time which i think is very important to the plot um Indeed. so yeah Hed- hedwig has to be hedwig has to be gone for practical reasons for the plot as well as symbolic ones
4: but we will mourn her forever
0: yes
3: yes Nobody Ever. nobody wanted her to be gone.
0: All right. Our next comment comes from Fangirl on the main site, who says, The thing I was thinking about was the choice to let Harry go with Hagrid. Isn't it a bit too obvious in a way? I mean, they're not letting Harry ride a broom because they're assuming that Snape would have told Voldemort and the Death Eaters that Harry's good at flying. Snape would also be aware of the special relationship between Harry and Hagrid, and therefore the Order probably should have assumed that he'd told the Death Eaters about that as well. I get that Joe wrote it this way because it's so symbolic that Hagrid is the one to take Harry away from Privet Drive, since he was the one to get him there in the first book. But because of this, it should also be easier for the Death Eaters to figure out. This is not by far the most stupid part of the plan, and it doesn't affect the story very much, but it still feels like a stupid decision from the Order. Personally, I would have put Harry with either Tonks or Bill. It's too obvious to have him be with Moody or Kingsley, since they're B.A.R.s, and too obvious with Arthur, Lupin, or Hagrid, since he has too much of a personal connection to them. He knows Tonks and Bill the least, but they're both adult, skilled wizards and Aurors in Tonks' case. The Death Eaters probably wouldn't even think too much about this, I guess, but still, since they were taking things like the trunk, bird, cage, and flying into account, they should have thought of this as well.
3: When Allison says BA or she means they have their bachelor's associates. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, so, the first thing I thought about when you were reading this comment and kind of thinking about it is that we forget that Tom Riddle, AKA Voldemort, knows Hagrid, thinks yeah. he is yeah. a bubbling idiot and a fool. Yeah. Um, He fooled the entire world, pretty much, into thinking that (laughs) Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Um, So I actually think that it was the perfect choice to put Harry with Hagrid because Voldemort, as we learn, underestimates people who he thinks are weak or stupid or, you know, kind of, quote, useless. He knows that Hagrid got kicked out of school and, you know, wouldn't be able to really protect Harry, even though obviously not the case.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I also think um, the point that this commenter made that Snape would have told him about it, I don't think Snape cares. I don't think Snape cares about Harry's personal life at all and would not even think about the fact that Harry and Hagrid are friends. So why would that be information he would pass on, you know? Okay.
4: Snape lovers cherish this moment because I actually think that Snape does care a little bit. And I think that that's a piece of information that...
3: He chose um, to keep to himself.
4: Yeah, he doesn't have to tell Voldemort. That's it's true. It's not imperative to anything. And he's like, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. I'd,
3: I'd agree with that, actually. Because I I think Snape is, uh, while he doesn't care about Harry's personal life, Snape is observant. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure he, it's kind of hard not to notice how many times Harry goes to visit Hagrid. Um whether under the invisibility cloak or not. Um, so I, I know Snape probably knew that they had a good relationship and I think, Kat, you're right that he actually chose to keep that one to himself. That was probably his way of keeping Harry safe in in this instance. The Probably the best he could do was not give Voldemort a hint of who... Because, you know, he didn't... Snape ostensibly, he knew obviously about the Seven Potters plan because he put the idea in Mundungus' head. Mm-hmm. But he didn't tell Voldemort the seven part. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of important because they didn't seem to quite expect it the way that it happened. Yeah. Why seven? Because seven. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right, right. Most magical number. Seven for
3: reasons. But I think, you know, wouldn't it have been interesting if that bit with Hagrid and Voldemort had actually come up in the narrative? Like, is there a reason? For yeah. That? Because that is, I think, Kat, you're right. That has to be one of the most glossed over, forgotten about (laughs) things in the Harry Potter series is that Hagrid knew Voldemort to some degree at school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is kind of funny that that just pretty much gets dropped.
4: You forget about it. And, you know, honestly, I didn't think about it until Allison was halfway through reading that comment. And I went, wait a minute. So,
3: well, even it, then. it's such a it's not brief. Like they had lunch together.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's such a brief. Well, not brief, but it's such a. You don't think about that in that moment in Chamber of Secrets that this is Voldemort and the Hagrid that we know, in this memory. You know, it's it because at that point you don't know that Tom Riddle is Voldemort, and I mm-hmm. mean we. Picture Hagrid as the Hagrid that Harry knows. You know that kicks down the door. Um. So, yeah, it's one of those interesting things where it's like, we don't put the two together. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely forget
4: about it because by the time the movies, I mean, by the time Harry's timeline rolls around, Hagrid's like 60, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't even think about that time back at school.
3: Well, yeah, and like Allison was saying, there isn't that bridge between the the ages for... For Voldemort, at least. There is. Right. I I think there is for Hagrid, because Hagrid's personality as a kid is almost exactly the same. <laughs> but. Pretty much. But, uh, but we don't get that connection of young Voldemort, Tom Riddle to Voldemort until book six.
4: Right. That's true.
5: Yeah.
2: Do we know how, how Hagrid was picked to be with Harry? Like, I know that Joe wanted ha- Harry to leave with Hagrid because of all the symbolism and stuff, but why? How did the order pick him? Or did he volunteer?
3: Wouldn't that be funny if they picked him for the symbolism?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You brought him. You take Yeah, and I'm sure it would be Mad-Eye that said it too, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, I
4: don't know if we know, honestly.
3: I don't think it is properly explained. Yeah, I don't think
5: they ever do.
4: Yeah, because Hagrid just says you'll be riding with me. Is that okay? Basically.
5: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and he
3: pretty much reasons it as like, I brought you here. So it the narration in hagrid's little speech about it suggests that hagrid actually came up with the idea yeah um, and put it forth so that then you know who's going to say no to hagrid
0: yeah
2: do you think he has like seniority
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> i think you know i think because we we talked about this a lot last week a lot of this plan because it was cobbled together last minute seems very much out of desperation yeah. And Hagrid was I'm sure they were having quite a debate about who the real Harry should go with and Hagrid probably gave them that reason and they were like, "Okay, good yeah. enough. <laughs>
4: Fine, you win."
3: It's like yeah. planning out a like a a staff schedule, like this one will go with this one and this one will go with this one and somebody just got frustrated and said, "Just give him to Hagrid. <laughs> He's done this before."
0: <laughs> oh. Well, speaking of Hagrid, uh, our next comment talks about him as well. Uh, it's from Anthony Goldstein and The Magic of Hanukkah. <laughs> and it says <laughs> In the show, someone described this as an instance of magical slapstick in the face of chaos, but I read it as anything but. This is Harry's single most emotionally desperate moment in the chapter, maybe even the book, but who cares to check? Everyone is in mortal peril purely to get him to a safe house. His firebolt is gone, and Hedwig is dead, and it's all his fault because he kept her locked up in the cage. Hagrid, before Hedwig, was Harry's first connection to the Wizarding World, the keeper of the keys to this new life. And here, Hagrid has catapulted himself onto a Death Eater to save Harry, and uh, is falling Merlin knows how far, surely to smash on the ground below. Accio Hagrid is Harry screaming, I can't lose anyone else. It's not Hagrid. It's don't give your life for me. It's people are dying and it's my fault, and please, oh please, let me save him. Harry had to know that Accio could never work on Hagrid, as much as he had to know the Wingardium Leviosa pages earlier could never have held. Knew all this as much as he knew he'd never forgive himself had he done nothing as his biggest friend plummeted into the blackness.
3: Wow, Ben, you made me feel bad about when I laughed when I first read this.
4: (laughs) Come on, it's a really funny moment. Accio (laughs) Hagrid,
3: that by the way, hi Ben. That's Ben from the Confundledor episode. Yes. <laughs> oh, hey Ben. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mean, my friends and I cracked up at this part when we read it after midnight. I mean, we were tired, but I think the a lot of people the association with that you can just the the idea that you can just axio pretty much. Anything, including a Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. It's...
0: <laughs> I never found it funny, though. I saw this desperation in this moment where he's like, what do I do? First spell to my mind is bring back to me, you know, is Accio.
3: So see, maybe, maybe it's because and we've, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, too. Maybe, cause I think the thing that we find throughout the series is that all readers tend to get pretty frustrated with Harry's kind of limited catalog of spells. Yeah. <laughs> and I almost kind of think that's where the humor comes from. Cause I mean, almost everyone when they read it, they're like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like there should probably be a spell for that. There probably is one for that, but it's because Harry's spell knowledge is so limited, he is still banking on things that are very basic, like Axio and Wingardium Leviosa and Expelliarmus, <laughs> like things that he learned very early on. I think, to me, that's where the humor comes from, because you ha- you stand Harry next to Hermione, who's using a plethora of spells that we don't hear anybody else use. Um, And if we do, they're, they're adult wizards.
0: That makes sense. I just always felt like it was... Harry, in moments of crisis, goes back to the things that have been ingrained in him enough. Which, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, how much. I mean, he's paid attention in class, but I feel like a lot of things. Mm, A lot of things. Well, some more than others. And I feel like a lot of things went. not went over his head, but aren't as ingrained because he was focused on other things when he was supposed to be learning them. Like. The fact that there was a giant snake killing people, or someone was supposed to be coming to kill him, or there were dragons, you know? um So, I feel like like Wingardium Leviosa is ingrained in his mind, because that's first year, that's the troll, and Accio is the Triwizard, tri-wizard tournament where he spent so long with Hermione really drilling spells. So,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I think it's just Harry panicking and just going to the first thing he can think of and taking what he can get.
3: We were talking about it in terms of being kind of slapsticky because we had just come off of the moment where Hagrid presses a button on the motorcycle and a brick wall erupts out out of the exhaust pipe and a Death Eater slams into it, which is pretty dang funny. Um, I mean, but if you... I think it is in terms of that, I guess in, in terms of Ben's comment, it is... How you phrase it, because you could turn that into well, uh, a Death Eater who had a wife and kids <laughs> smashed into a brick wall, breaking all of the bones in his body before falling <laughs> hundreds and thousands of feet to the earth. So, <laughs> if, I mean, if you want to put it in context, it depends on I think the context you put it in. I I I think, I mean, I I think it wasn't unexpected. I, I I imagine Joe wouldn't have been surprised if people kind of laughed a little bit at the Axio moment, in my
4: I agree. I mean, I totally understand where this comment's coming from. And yes, that's exactly why Harry Harry said it. But that doesn't make it not funny. (laughs) 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 For me, anyway.
3: Harry's desperation in times of need is kind of hilarious. It's hilarious.
0: Hilarious.
3: Yeah. So many times. So much desperation.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our comments for this week. Um, there were a lot of actually really good discussions going on. It was really hard to pick comments this week, guys. Um, so if you want to go read all those discussions, head on over to the site at alohemara.mugglet.com.
4: And speaking of discussions on our main site, let's move on to our podcast question of the week responses from last episode. There were a lot as usual, um, but I picked four, I think pretty good ones. So just- I was
3: glad to see there were a lot on this one. There were a lot. There were yeah. a lot of people initially who were like, the 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 plan sucks, but there's no better one. <laughs> so, <Right>. I'm gl- <laughs> so I'm glad to see that it actually opened up a lot of discussion later on.
4: Yeah. I mean, there did end up being a little bit of a consensus. About 50% of the people thought one thing, but, um, well, let me just remind you all of the question first. So it says, as we discussed in this chapter, the orders plan to smuggle Harry from Privet Drive has many flaws not least of which is that it comes from Mundungus Fletcher, quite possibly the least trustworthy order member. What was the alternative plan for Harry's escape prior to this one? What would have been a better alternative? And why exactly were the members of the order so willing to go along with this idea, seemingly without question? So our first comment here comes from my Patronus is a Doberman, which, awesome, Dobermans are really nice and fluffy animals, so that's good. Um... It says, why were the orders so willing to go along with this idea despite a thousand possible things that could go wrong? Because, clearly, despite the best of intentions, the Order of the Phoenix sucks at their job. They couldn't stop Voldemort the first time around. In between the fifth and sixth book, they are highly ineffectual at doing much of anything except, quote, standing guard for Dumbledore and putting up a good fight before losing against the Death Eaters every time. In the seventh book, once Dumbledore is gone, they are basically impotent. It's sad, really.
5: Wow! (laughs) <laughs> Ow! Wow. So
4: I really wanted to start with this one since it's so um, dramatically yeah. out of what any of the other comments said. So what do y'all think? That
0: is Oof. harsh. Wow. Is it not true, though? I mean... I don't think it's completely true. I
2: mean, they kind of are not the best, but I mean, they do put up a big fight in the final battle.
0: Well, okay, let's think about it. There's tons of Death Ears, right? Plus dark creatures... They've got no moral qualms against doing bad things. And then we've got, what, like 15 members of the Order of the Phoenix? Well, that we meet. That doesn't mean that there aren't more. True. But I I feel like this is a little unjustly harsh. Um, they couldn't stop Voldemort the first time around. Well... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there was there was a lot of other stuff riding on that one, though, too. And standing guard for Dumbledore, I think that's because Dumbledore told them to do that. I think Dumbledore was playing his chess match and was trying to keep people out of the way of the bigger picture involving Harry that he was trying to, Harry and the Horcruxes that he was trying to figure out. I think this is a little unnecessarily harsh, but that's me.
3: <laughs> I think the reason that a reader might think this this goes back to this is one of the core reasons goes back to my frustrations with Order of the Phoenix the book um, and now the the books are frequently titled after the MacGuffin as I've mentioned before on the show and the Order of the Phoenix has to be probably the biggest one of those because they really are not the focus of their book at all um, and I think that's where this frustration comes because Pottermore has slowly revealed to us that the order of the Phoenix was actually doing quite a bit behind the scenes, but they are very rarely on the page. And when they are, they do seem in ineffect- ineffective. Um, they frequently lose. They're kind of, they're almost always outnumbered. Um, and really, when we do hear about them, it's like, oh, they were standing watch at a door at the ministry. Oh, they were standing watch at a door at Hogwarts. And <laughs> <laughs> and they keep those doors so safe. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's all we kind of hear, because we're supposed to be kept as out of the loop about the order
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com.
2: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus
3: terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As Harry is. Versus being very in on the Death Eaters plans, not only because Rowling does choose to cut to their meetings more frequently, because they're integral to the plot, but also because Harry has, an, has a TV link. Through Voldemort's head. <laughs> so we do get a lot of insight into what's going on with the Death Eaters way more than we do with the Order of the Phoenix in a way. So I don't know if that's necessarily the a fair criticism, but it, it rings true in certain ways.
4: I think using exactly the evidence that's in the books,
3: that yes. makes sense. But yes.
4: knowing full well that there's probably other things going on behind the curtain that we're not aware of.
3: Yes. That's yeah, a good point. It's a mean. little it's kind of I think that's one of the things that people find surprising about the series later on is that we really don't ever get a reveal of what the order was do or was doing um even later in the books. We and we don't even really have a sense at all of what the order was the original order did.
4: Right? Except stand around and take pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
3: (laughs) The only evidence of anything they ever did was one group photo, and I bet that was hell to plan.
4: Probably. (laughs) I've tried to plan many group photos in my day, and it's never easy.
3: Yeah, I've been there for some of those.
4: (laughs) I know you have. (laughs) So, um, since we talked a little bit about Dumbledore, we'll go on to this next comment from Lavelle. And uh, it's quite an interesting one. There's a follow-up to it as well. So, comment says... I think that everything is still Dumbledore's plan. He made sure that Fletcher, uh, meaning Mundungus, would suggest this plan so if something goes wrong, which something did go wrong, the blame would go to him and not to Snape. So the untrustworthiness would turn to Mundungus, making everybody think that Snape is still someone the Order would trust, even though he tipped you-know-who. Since this, I think, is Dumbledore's plan, the Order did this willingly. And there was a really great follow-up from user Griff. It says... I like the idea that Dumbledore designed the plan to fail in a way. He planned for it to be discovered. He knew he wanted Snape to tell Voldemort the basics, but withhold the essentials to keep his cover, as discussed in The Prince's Tale. I feel like any of the plans discussed in the comments, while better for Harry's safety, would have been harder to partially yet safely disclose to Voldemort. Snape's cover is very important to the ultimate fulfillment of Dumbledore's plan for Harry's sacrifice, and has to be protected."
3: Stephanie, what is your view on Voldemort's, or rather, Dumbledore's omnipotent qualities? Do you think he sees it all, or do you think he has a limited view?
2: Um, I'm a Dumbledore fan, so I really think that he does see it
3: all. So you would probably but, agree with uh, but this, I,
2: but not I, not entirely, because as much as I do like him, I think if he designed for it to fail, so that people would plan Mundungus. I think that's kind of, that's kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, he, he, the thing that I, that I would, the thing that I reference it against is that if Dumbledore had planned it so that Fletcher, Ludmenduncus well, would take the fall for the issues. It's kind of like how the Death Eaters use Stan Shunpike to mm. take the, to take the falls and everything. Cause they send him to Azkaban and they use him in the seven he- potters chapter.
3: Do you think that's something Dumbledore would be against, though? I, don't
5: know. <laughs> I, mean, I think the
4: word you're searching for is no. <laughs>
2: yeah, probably not. I mean, the thing is, that I I love Dumbledore, and I just in my brain, I just hope that he wouldn't do that. But part mm. of me is like, he probably could, because he kind of um, had Harry grow up just to die. So
3: yeah, in a way, I almost <laughs> think that this is a reasonable explanation, because we know that Dumbledore Dumbledore's portrait right, is the one who plants this to Snape, who in turn plants it to Mundungus, correct?
4: Yeah. I believe so, yes.
3: And if it was the portrait, then Dumbledore trained the portrait to say that.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: Because we know that the portraits can't think of things that elaborate on their own. So that was pre-planned on Dumbledore's part. If we're going by... If Rowling's canon doesn't... Post-Potter doesn't contradict itself. (laughs)
4: Yeah. (laughs) Well, if it contradicts itself, it's not canon. In my opinion,
3: see, yeah, then that's the hard thing to deal with because she does have that a few times. She's had it a few times, mm-hmm. um, and it could happen. Yeah, like the whole
4: thousands students at Hogwarts thing. Yes. Oh man, yes, it's not canon in my opinion. No. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: but no, I I think it's it's kind of funny, Stephanie, because I think when you were when you were saying about we'll get into that issue actually, I think a bit in the next chapter about what what action should be taken as far as sacrificing an individual for the good of the group and whether that's the best thing to do because that does come up not even with dumbledore in the room
0: i've been trying to like process this uh comment um i agree i agree that it's it almost seems too cold that he would plan to have muggnus just kind of thrown out because of this failing so, I'm
3: I'm so surprised you guys see that it's too cold for Dumbledore. I don't think that's I don't. cold. I I don't know for him. Maybe
0: I just I just want to believe. I just want to believe that he's he appreciates people. I don't know. I think that <laughs> I Dumbledore
4: looks at things like and I'm not saying this word specifically, but things like karma. Like if you do bad things in your life, um, guess what? I might have to use you for something bad and oh well. That's a good and point. And I feel like that might possibly be you know where he is with Mundungus. And I really liked this comment and it's why I put it in there because I do think that Snape's mission is ultimately one of the most important things that Dumbledore has been you know had on his mind for years. And if he has to use Mundungus as a pawn in this chess game which we know he is the master of. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think he thought twice about it. I can see and that.
0: Cared. I can see that, definitely.
3: Yeah. yeah. Nobody likes Mundungus anyway.
0: No,
4: it's true. I mean, yeah, his no. nickname is Dung, for
1: goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. What a butt.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <What> a- <laughs> All right, so our last comment here comes from What the Hell is a Hippogriff? And it says, I completely agree with the audio boom from this episode on the topic of the Seven Potters plan. Wizards, especially the, quote, pure-blood wizards who make up the Death Eaters, have no idea how muggle transport works. <laughs> Imagine Voldemort trying to apparate onto a crowded, moving, muggle train, especially with Harry disguised as a random muggle. What on earth was stopping them from taking Harry in the car with the Dursleys, dropping him off at the station as if he, had, as if he was just a random muggle, taking him as far away from Little Whinging as possible, and then apparating to the bureau? The bureau. <laughs> <laughs> apparating that's, that's a to. Place. And then apparating to the borough. If they can't trace him on a broom, then they can't trace him in a car or on a train. They had Death Eaters patrolling the skies, but I can't see Voldy positioning people on the ground. He didn't even know the exact location of the house. So this comment is one of the ones that was pretty much a consensus. Like, duh, stupid wizards use Muggle transport. <laughs> like, duh.
0: Um. So, but I, I think the that oversight goes on both sides. I mean, it's going to go for the Death Eaters, but it's also going to go for the Order. I mean. Yeah. Mad Eye, how much does Mad Eye know about Muggle transportation? Is he gonna think about Muggle transportation? I feel like Mad Eye would be thinking there's too many people on this train.
4: (laughs) Oh in order, correct me. Is it just the movie where they're taken to the train by the Order? No, that's the book. That doesn't
3: happen in the movie.
4: No, it happens because Sirius gets naked in that train station, remember?
3: Oh, in the, in the movie. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. yeah but
3: they they don't they don't talk they don't talk about how they got there. They just get there. Right. They kind of pass it off like they walked. So. Yeah.
4: Right. Right. But what I'm saying is, I guess it, I don't personally think that it would be out of Mad Eye's um, range of things to think of. I just think that this plan was presented to him, and it seemed clever, and he got to use Polyjuice, and. Uh, you know, all of that.
0: Yeah. So, well, it goes back to that kind of wizard fallacy of if we can use magic, we're going to use magic above anything else. You know, it's kind of that, it's a mistake they all seem to make that has cost them quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. Doesn't, Um. again, I'm not sure if this is in the movie or just the bo- in the book too, but doesn't Arthur and Harry go to the ministry using muggle transportation? They do. So yeah, they do. wouldn't, couldn't
4: Arthur like...
3: See? Yeah. Suggest that? Yeah. And then then they can
4: teach them about it? (laughs) Yeah. Arthur was probably like, ooh, 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 guys, let's take a car. And they were like, no.
3: (laughs) 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 You
0: don't get to go near muggles, (laughs) sir.
3: That is something I thought of when we were, when you read this comment, Kat, that, that's uh, very true, Stephanie, that, that there is somebody, there is somebody on the team who would think of using muggle transport very eagerly. Mm -hmm. And in a way that would work so well with the plot and tie Arthur into the planning really well. Um, yeah, that does seem, I, 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 maybe there is, like you said, Alice in the Element, because Rowling does try to pepper that through the series, that we are showing that magic has its mistakes and doesn't solve all problems. Um,
4: I think, honestly, I think the biggest reason they didn't use Muggle Transport is because what if what happened in the sky had happened on a train? Oh, yeah. I mean it would have been it, it, Blood it would bath. have been a slaughterhouse. Um and I think that they were trying to avoid that. I do think that a line, one simple line like, "Oh, why don't we just take the train? Oh, we didn't want to kill a bunch of muggles." Like <laughs> there's no reason, obviously it's not in there, but who maybe it was in there and the editor was like, "You don't need that. Cut it out."
3: Well, and as far as him going with the Dursleys, I don't I don't even even if it had been safe, I don't think they wanted to risk Harry being in their in their company and the danger that that could pose, even for a little bit. Well, um, the question
4: about the Dursleys is: Would the protection have broken if he went with the Dursleys? And I think not.
0: Well, I think if they were going, because they say that the they're going their separate ways with the intention of this being the end. And so I think right. if they were still. So if Harry that, went with the Dursleys, that wouldn't have happened.
3: But isn't there also an element isn't there still an element of that protection that it there's a part of calling a place home and if yeah if if you physically left the spot would that well do-
4: I mean <clears throat> I think that yes and no for that one because I still think that when in the first book when they were traveling all over the place to try and get away from the letters, I think they were still protected because wherever he called home with the Dursleys is home yes it's like home is where the heart is and yes it happens to be a Privet Drive because that happens to be where the Dursleys live um but I I strongly think that if Harry had left with the Dursleys at any to, up to any point until they separated and were like okay you're gonna go that way and I'm going this way and I'm never gonna see you again that's when it would have broken. It wouldn't have broken when they drove away from the house or anything like that it would have broken when they actually parted ways.
3: So they shouldn't have said goodbye so quickly.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, I don't think it's the word, the, the word of it. I think it's the act of going separate ways.
3: Mm, okay.
4: So even if Harry had ridden in the car with them, um, you, you know, that, that, that's, that's going in the same direction, mm-hmm. you know, um, sure. Their ultimate intention is to split, but they haven't, so I think it's a it's a matter of actually physically making that
2: a thing. I have a, I have a question now. So if he was still, because I agree with you, Cat. If he was still in the car with them, driving, and the protection was still on them, shouldn't they have just dropped him off at the burrow? <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> whoa. Oh. whoa.
4: I mean, possibly, but the borough's really far from London, as we learn a book too. So, yeah, that's true. Or dropped him at the closest safe house. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. I suppose that's a possibility. Yeah, but there we go. That is our responses um, from last week's question of the week. There were a lot more, um, like one hundred and forty something or whatever. So head over to com. Keep the discussion going because it's so good. And, I mean, I still go back and read them. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I I, I like to follow up. So keep it going.
3: And we're going to keep the discussion going with Chapter 5 of Deathly Hallows. Chapter 5. Tamadai. Fallen Warrior. Tamadai. Harry awakes to find himself in the home of two new characters, Ted and Andromeda Tonks. But before he can take in more than their appearance... He is port-keyed to the burrow. Shocked to find that he and Hagrid are the first arrivals, Harry internally begins to question the danger he has put his friends' lives in. Slowly, the missing members of the Order trickle in, not all in one piece or in the highest of spirits, culminating in the reveal that Mad-Eye Moody has not survived the ordeal, Mundungus Fletcher has scarpered, and, perhaps worst of all, the seeds of doubt have been sowed amongst the Order, for how else would Voldemort have known about the plan? but for a mole in the group. In his attempt to unite the group, Harry, to his bemusement, is mistaken to hold unique powers that would seem to be his wands doing, and a vision of Voldemort torturing the long unseen and long suffering Mr. Ollivander only confirms to Harry that things are not as they appear. So interestingly, while there is not a lot of action in this chapter, there is a lot of, there are a lot of reveals and a lot of character moments in this chapter that are pretty important. Uh, the first one in fact is two new characters that we've heard mention of before but we've never seen on screen and that is Ted and Andromeda Tonks. And to start it off, I believe Stephanie had an interesting observation about something in the Tonks family household.
2: Uh yeah, so I found an interesting thing on the S Oh, I can never Is it Aspidistra? I Aspidistra. So. Okay. That sounds right. First off, I had I had no idea what that was cuz it just says that Me too. <laughs> knocking over two delicate tables in an Aspidistra. Damn. Man, I should start drinking.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the right chapter to say that. There's, there's No, it's funny a lot funny of people because, start drinking in here. Um,
4: I've been reading the books on my iPad, and I had to highlight that word and go, what? And it had a capital A, so I knew it was like a thing and not a description, of you know? I just, yeah. Glad I'm not the only one who had no idea. Oh, God, I had, I had oh, no idea. Oh, that's
0: what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so...
4: um <laughs>
2: So, just to give, like, a, just a brief overview of it, um, it's a common, very, very common household plant. Uh, they grow in shade under trees and shrubs. Uh, their leaves arise more or less directly from ground level, where the flowers also appear. The number of species known to increase considerably from the 1980s onward, with around 100 sep- accepted as July 2013, this Aspididra is the most common worldwide foliage household plant because it is very tolerant of neglect. Huh. So what yeah. I found was really interesting.
1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: In pop culture, um, as a popular fo- foliage household plant, it became the it became the most popular plant in late Victorian Britain. And it was so common that it became a symbol of middle class values. Oh. So I thought that was kind of cool. And the Aspididra was a code name of a very powerful British radio transmitter used for propaganda and deception purposes against Nazi Germany during World War II. Oh.
5: Well,
2: done.
4: Also, yeah. just as you were talking, <laughs> I looked up the origin of the word, and it's, the origin is um, Aspis, which is Greek, and it means shield.
3: Awesome. Nice. Oh, oh. Okay, see, and this I'm glad I'm glad you looked that up, Stephanie, because I think we've we've noticed plants in certain locations before that just get a kind of brushed off mention, but they do seem to be relevant to being included in the moment. Um OGM.
5: Yeah. One, well, <laughs> you thought know, that was
3: pretty sweet. That well, that leads really well into my question because I think that that actually does combine a little bit with what i'm asking here which is what can we surmise about the tonks family from this what i forgot it was an extremely brief appearance uh, what are we supposed to take away from them because some this time over when i read it i was like oh they're just there to get harry from one place to another and they don't do anything else um and then, and you know of course we also will have the setup later for sadly for ted tonks's demise um but it's so funny that these very new characters who have been briefly mentioned get introduced at this moment and really unlike Rowling's other characters who get a late introduction and get a pretty good amount of screen time these two don't um the only thing we really kind of know is that we're like Harry we're very struck by Andromeda's physical appearance because she's noted to look almost exactly like Bellatrix and the only other thing is that and we kind of have had a, a hints, very small hints about Andromeda and Ted's relationship with and I call her Nymphadora only to differentiate her from her parents here. Um, but her relationship with her parents, which has been briefly touched on in the terms of Tonks kind of shunning her actual name.
0: I, I like them a lot. I've always liked them. Uh. They just seem so down to earth and so normal, which is nice knowing who they're connected to, you know, like Bellatrix and the Malfoys and the whole crazy black family. And I mean, her dad's name is Ted, which is pretty common and kind of
3: unusually. So,
0: yeah, it's it's just so normal. You know, it's, it's just nice to know that there was this nice, normal family unit. They're there supporting their daughter as she's out fighting evil and see I just I like them
4: I I see where you're saying normal but I see it as more um, out of touch
5: really it seemed
4: like that family was a little bit reclusive and maybe um, they like read about and hear about politics secondhand they might not know all the latest and newest information about what's happening in the world and they just kind of take other people's recap of things as bible um you know as truth um that that's kind of what i get from them and this you know i always it's funny because in my head i hear ted talks and i thought about this like tall kind of gangly awkward looking guy for some reason and then at this time i was so surprised that it said a fair-haired big belly man and i was like oh
3: yeah tom's ted's description doesn't match what i thought i thought the same thing too, cat yeah. Ted Ted's, Ted's description is actually very close to um Ludo Bagman.
4: Yeah, that's right. It is.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: It's very funny cuz again, I think that's another reason why these two don't strike me very much is that they're both comp- like they both have physical descriptions that fit other characters. Um they're not even really quite that unique in appearance, and we don't really get enough detail about their physical appearance like we do with most characters. Yeah. Um Androm- Andromeda, we get more, but only to differentiate her from Bellatrix and like really, because sm- really, I in my head when I read it, I just picture like a smiling Bellatrix walking into the room, <laughs> who's just like, "Hi, you want some cookies?" Like so, nice. like
4: Hermione as Bellatrix, you mean? Yes, like <laughs> yeah. Hermione's
3: Bellatrix, that is Andromeda to me. <laughs>
0: <Nice>. <laughs> Good morning. The, the most, the, I guess, the most striking physical thing of Andromeda is I've always pictured her. Bellatrix is described as having black hair, and then Narcissa has blonde hair, and so I've always imagined her just being like sandy hair, like the perfect shade in between blonde and black, like just <laughs> perfectly in between the two, so that it's... Well, it says light soft brown. So yeah, you're not yeah. Wrong. yeah I don't, sad. I don't know. It's just, it just always kind of struck me as a little funny that it was like here's the two polar opposites, and right straight in the middle <laughs> is is the third. <laughs>
3: It's fascinating that, that, that idea of Andromeda, Andromeda kind of being in the middle because I think, again, it's hard to judge her based on what little we see of her, but her reaction to Harry is fascinating to me because she takes great offense that he seems to think she's Bellatrix. Um, and she's kind of cold towards him and derogatory. She doesn't really talk to him and she's not interested in him. She's only interested in what happened to Tox. Um, which seems, you know, we've talked about Slytherins and Hufflepuffs before and kind of the odd similarities that they might have being that they are they both have a very loyal protective streak and are very interested perhaps in their inner circle. Which goes again, Cat, with what you were saying about their per- potential to, for them to be reclusive.
4: Yeah, it's not to um, say that I don't like them. I think that they seem like perfectly nice people. I'm just not surprised about the fact that <clears throat> they're a little bit clueless about what kind of happened and what is going on. They just seem really chill about well, the fact that, you know, they've just arrived and Death theaters are flying around the house and,
0: well, you know. But then nobody expected what happened when they were flying to happen. I mean, I think they, pretty much everyone expected this to kind of go off without a hitch because...
4: That would be stupid if that's what they well. thought. <laughs> I mean, that that is ignorance at its best and I guess that just proves my point further.
3: Well, and interestingly, this, the Harry and Hagrid's uh, escape is probably the one that does go closest to the expected plan. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they meet the rendezvous point and they manage to get their port key on time. Um, And I think, Kat, what you're saying, too, about that, about maybe their perhaps disinterest or ignorance with the outside world i think that that's that's a really great way to put it because that was i realize i realized when you said that that probably one of the interesting things that's not remarked on but in the in the narrative but i think is probably something that's worthwhile about these two is that they don't find harry any more special than anybody else it would seem they yeah. don't treat Harry the way that everybody else does upon seeing him. They don't look at the scar. They don't ask him probing questions. They're just asking about talks.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And have absolutely no interest in Harry, which is something we're not, I guess, we're not used to encountering as much as Harry is. Um, yeah. But, as mentioned before, their appearance is brief, and we're back at the borough, and it's not quite the arrival at the Borough like we usually get. Uh, there's a few characters who arrive that I wanted to highlight because some of the characters don't act terribly unexpectedly in their appearances. So the big one, obviously, is is not just George; it's George's ear, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which
0: is still Aww. one of the funniest parts of the books. I think the the saint like line. It's just oh my gosh! I laugh at it every time because it's just it's hilarious. It's <laughs> like. It's very Fred and George, <laughs> and and I is just, what it oh, is. It's just lovely. I love that line. I love it so much.
3: What do you guys think in terms... Now, I, of course, a lot of parallels have been drawn to the connection with the extendable ears, which is a thing that they invented. Um, and to the later death of Fred. What, what does this mean in terms of that? Anybody? That it makes
0: Fred's death worse because we thought that the worst thing that could happen to the twins had already happened. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing we could have imagined ha- that happening to either of the twins. Cause I don't think anyone expected either of them to die.
5: No. So this seemed to be
0: the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then it's not.
4: I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not sure how to answer that question. Um, I, I was thinking about how Molly says that, um, You know, we can't grow it back because it's Mm -hmm. been cursed off with a dark spell. Um, But we know that it was Sectumsempra. Yes. And Mm -hmm. then it was Snape. Mm -hmm. And Harry used that on Draco.
5: And healed him. So if they
4: had his ear, could they mend it back? I don't know. Because, I mean, if it's unfixable, then technically Draco should be unfixable.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying. There's a difference, I think, between, like, okay, I'm not, like, a medical expert, but I feel like there's a difference between just, like, a cut and having some part of your body, like, severed off. Yeah, but it's just your ear.
4: And I don't want that to sound like, oh, it's just your ear. But, like, there's no major arteries.
0: Well in your ear.
4: But there's like there's it's not like it's your arm or your yeah, finger or
0: But there you know. aren't there like really like I said, not a medical expert. Um <laughs> I, I think there's there's like really delicate parts of your ear. <laughs> not <laughs> on the outside, stuff, right? Yeah, your, your well I guess I guess it would it would depend on how deep it cut, you know?
3: The implication is that it just cut the surface of the ear off.
0: Right.
4: I don't know. It's just something that I thought about. I, it seemed a little. I mean, like I get it. You can't regrow an ear. Like that's kind of comical and kind of dumb if you could. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about you know because they can like reattach your finger if you cut it off. Yeah. So. Well, you, you can
3: know. re you can regrow a tooth in the wizarding world.
4: Yeah, that, you can regrow bone ostensibly
3: because that's bone.
4: Right. Yeah. That's true.
3: Um, and we've just had Harry regrow a tooth back. And it would seem he did, he, it, it would seem he was administered skelagrow while he was sleeping because his bones, his ribs and his arm, his rib and his arm are aching. Yeah. Um, so you can regrow some things. See, this goes along with, and listeners, if you haven't looked at it, make sure and do it now because Pottermore will be closing down and changing in a few weeks. <laughs> Actually, in a few days. Um, from when this airs, but, uh, Rowling did post, a piece on Pottermore about medical issues in the wizarding world and how she determined what you can fix and what you can't. Um, What'd she say? She essentially said that things like the common cold or kind of muggle illnesses, as she termed them, were things that could probably be cured, but for severe physical, severe physical and mental disorders, there's nothing you can do even by magic. They can treat it, I guess, in the magical world, just as we do, but they don't have a solution for it. And I'm assuming this, you know, in this case, as you mentioned, we're also factoring in dark
5: magic.
4: So then, uh, uh, alright, then what about Draco? uh, Why is he just, like, fixed and sewed right up and better?
0: It could be Harry didn't do it right. You know, it could be one of those spells, like, the Unforgivables where you have to have a certain mindset behind it. And if you don't quite have that mindset, then it's not quite as powerful. So that, that could, it could be one of those kinds of things.
3: That could be argued because we do see Snape use Sectumsempra on James in Order of the Phoenix, and he only slashes his cheek a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that is, that's possible. I think, I feel like Kat, if you asked rolling that, she would give you the answer that Allison did. Where, Cutting somebody open is different than cutting something completely off.
4: Fine. <laughs> I just think that's yeah. an I think that's a cheat.
3: Rowling's you know? about as much a medical expert as Alison.
5: <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose
3: that's true. <laughs> Although she
4: has been learning a lot about amputations and the like with her strike novels. That's so.
3: true. That's true. Maybe she'd revise what Sectum Sempra does in that case. Maybe,
4: but then it wouldn't be canon. <laughs> oh,
3: no, gosh. No. Well, and I'm sure you guys have heard the... uh...
1: Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha,
3: in my dentist's office. More than once, actually.
1: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: I never win and tell.
1: Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No proof is necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: The idea of the, the extendable ear and Fred in heaven and the ears in heaven with Fred, so it's like a... Oh
1: have you heard that one that's
3: cute so So much fan fiction exists because of that idea
4: that i mean that's pretty that's pretty gosh darn cute (laughs) that's pretty cute yeah
3: doesn't
4: um so doesn't snape have the counter curse
2: to fix symptom sempra because he Mm -hmm. fixes up draco Mm yeah so Molly doesn't have the counter curse, right, to fix up Se- Sectum Semper because it's Snape's real, his own creation, right? Oh,
3: yeah, that's a good point. That could be true.
4: That's so maybe. Maybe, but like I mean, he, they don't have the ear. So no matter what, even if you could stitch it back on, they don't have the ear. Yeah. It's maybe- gone. It's with Mad-Eye. Whoops. Spoiler.
5: Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: wow. Well, and before we get to Mad-Eye, there's a few other characters I wanted to touch on. Lupin and Tonks, we'll get to we'll get to Lupin and Harry a little bit later because there's a lot more with them actually. Happy to see each other? Yes. Really? Sorry. I think
4: relieved yeah. more than anything, more than happy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Why well, you don't think so? By your tone.
3: Well, I've never really liked how that passage comes off. I think this is the reason why a lot of Lupin and Tonks, uh, you know, a lot of people who weren't fans of the relationship find them problematic. And of course, we find out the reasons why Lupin is a little cold later. Um, but it's it's it, it's. I guess it's interesting, just in even just in this dynamic of life and death, and how Lupin and Tonks react to seeing each other. Because Tonks does act in a very ju- jubilant, loud way. She's very she declares her happiness to see Lupin. She's very happy to see him. Lupin doesn't say a thing. Um, an interesting mix of how you can take it, I guess.
0: That's kind of just their characters, though. I've I've always seen Lupin and Tonks' relationship as a very mature relationship, um, which seems to contrast a lot of the other married couples in the series that we see, because they all seem to get together when they're very young and they're very kind of crazy, you know? But I, I've always thought, I mean, you can make the argument that Tonks isn't quite as mature, but I've always thought her kind of jubilant nature her joking nature was purposefully done it's not out of immaturity it's that she has just made the decision for herself to be this kind of person um so i've always seen them as a very mature relationship that would just be relieved to see each other again especially as we know they just got married they're probably i think they're expecting teddy at this point
3: yes if I Probably.
0: The, if I have the timeline right. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I've always just seen it as a yeah, a very relieved moment. Uh, you and I are
4: disagreeing a lot in this episode, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I think that and this is so bad. I think in some way obviously Lupin is happy to see her because he loves Tonks. Quote, loves Tonks. Um, <clears throat> but I think in some way Obviously, we know that he's dealing with the whole, like, holy crap, I got her pregnant junk. And, yep. you know, kind of like anybody who doesn't want that to happen in their life, maybe he's a little sad that something didn't happen and that has stopped being a thing. Um, I
3: Actually, that's how I read this passage. Oh,
4: and- Yeah. Um, I think that he doesn't want her to die, No. Um, but I definitely think that, you know how in the, in television shows, like, a character is pregnant and the, the guy, like, is so mad, he hates it or whatever, and then two days later she gets a car accident and loses the baby, and he's like, whew, I'm
0: so relieved. Like, that's Lupin. <laughs> yes, the gone, opinion, the gone with moment. the
3: wind moment. Yeah. Down the stairs. Oh. Right. Yeah, See,
0: but- I, I would have never thought that, because I think deep down, Lupin as a person... Would love to be a dad, but he's just worried about this his condition, you know. So, oh right. man, and I think
4: that's his main motivator for not wanting her to be pregnant. Yes, maybe he wants to be a dad, but he doesn't want to put somebody he does yeah. love, like Tonks, through that.
0: That's that's a fair point.
3: I I think that's even that idea is even strengthened by Tonks's. Devil May Care mentioned that, oh, Bellatrix tried to kill me. She really wants to kill me. I wish I could have killed her. Like, that's kind of basically how she says it. Yeah. And Lupin, again, does not take that. Lupin kind of twitches at that. Um, I think that that's the, the connection to that, what you're saying, Kat.
4: Yeah, he doesn't want her to be in harm, but he doesn't want to be in that situation. Yeah. Even if that means her getting injured or not being around or whatever it may be, because it's going to be better for her in Lupin's opinion to be dead or injured or without child than to be with him with child.
3: Yes. Yeah, so, I, I, see I can that.
0: see that. I just want everyone to be happy though. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dumbledore has all good intentions and Lupin and Tung's are perfectly happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so happy. Just... You guys, this is a happy book. <laughs> Well, and I'll just, I will throw out there because I'm sure there are, are other listeners who are thinking about it. This is something that I read into Harry Potter, but I don't take seriously, but I do think is worth examining. I was at a panel at um GeekyCon this year, and it was put forth by Marcus Shiro. He said, I read a Tumblr post once where somebody said, does J.K. Rowling know Lupin's gay? Because somebody should tell her, because he's super gay. <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like listeners take it as you will tear it apart build it up do whatever you will with it i'm not going to because i choose i even though i think it's fascinating to read it that way i don't but i think it's i think it's worth examining but i'll leave that to you listeners to examine but i think it's a legitimate way to read the series if you choose to it, there it's it, it's there's enough there and especially you know there there we also have the discussion before about how lupin his where his lycanthropy is um is an allegory for HIV and AIDS which should not exclusively be associated with the gay community but often in uh so in kind of social discussion it is uh so i don't think that it's completely out of the blue to read that but like i said i'll throw that bone to the listeners have fun with that one <laughs> Um I'm sure you can discuss that one up in the comments quite a bit and I look forward to that. <laughs> the other person who I just wanted to touch on quick um who arrives is Ron. Uh because when Ron and Tonks get back Tonks points out that Ron did a great job and even I have the exact same tone of surprise as Hermione does. <laughs> I And go on. Oh I just wanted to I think the only thing I wanted to say about that is that this almost seems, yet again, like a great setup for the Ron that we knew in Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. Who, and we I feel like that Ron doesn't still quite come to his full potential, but we, we get a hint of it again, and it, what, I think the interesting difference between Ron and Hermione that's really highlighted here is that Hermione is an amazing witch, and she's... She has, she's extremely accomplished and she's got a great backlog of spells behind her. But as we still know, she is still, she can still crack under pressure. Um, and interestingly, Ron does not. Ron does not have the catalog of spells she does. He does not have the arsenal, but he doesn't crack under pressure, at least in this particular situation. And I, I'm wondering if you guys feel that Ron does or does not live up to that potential in this book.
0: I, I think there needs to be more Ron love. Because I think his moments like this are very small and very glossed over. For example, rereading Prisoner of Azkaban, the first thing Ron says to the Minister for Magic, probably the most powerful man in Britain, is basically that Cornelius Fudge is wrong and that his judicial system is completely messed up. Like, that is the first thing he says to this man. (laughs) He just throws that out there. So I just, Ron love, Ron love in this moment and so many other moments.
4: I definitely think that overall, he is incredibly overlooked and underutilized and um, cast aside a lot. And he has quite literally always been there for Harry, except in this book when he's not there, but he comes (laughs) back. Um, And I think that there's something to say for the friend who um isn't afraid to be wrong and come back and say man I'm I'm really sorry I screwed up I'm a jerk because I think that's humble and and that's something that Ron has always been and will continue to be and I think that's something that that Harry values and that's why he just takes him back kind of uh, unapologetically, like, m- don't even worry about it, man. It's no big deal. And I think that in this moment, it's it's nice that Ron finally gets to be like, yeah, I'm good, like, just because you never noticed it before. You
5: know, doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean I didn't know it,
4: you know?
0: He's a confident guy, when, it, unless it's Quidditch. <laughs> I just thought of this while you were talking. Ron's not very confrontational. He's very... He's not much of a fighter, you know? He's more of the kind who's going to sit back and kind of, I mean, he's got almost youngest child syndrome, where he's like, I'm going to be back here until someone needs me. You all carry on with your business. <laughs>
4: like, yeah, but his mind's always working and always thinking and always processing. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah.
0: We, maybe we shouldn't be as surprised that he's this good, but he just doesn't show it on normal He's a, normal a fighter basis. and a lover. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
3: Stephanie, do you you love Ron as much as you love Dumbledore?
2: I do, actually. I really do love Ron, especially in this last reread. Ron has really, really grown on me. And I'm really sad that we don't get to see his combat skills, you know, Mm -hmm. on, like, in page. Like, I really wish that we actually got to see it because, like, you know, we've seen... Him do a couple of good things, and then we hear him do a couple of good things, like especially in the the Quidditch match where um Harry and Hermione are off with Gwarp, 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 Grop, Grop, Grop. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs>
5: okay, nobody
3: likes Grop anyway.
2: <laughs> no, I hate him. But but when you but <laughs> when they come back and like Ron's like, yeah, do you see me take that on? Yeah, I got that thing. I took it down. Like all of, like he's so excited, and I just feel like Rowling is like. Not showing him in the book, like, we don't actually get to see him. Everything is off the page. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it would be, we would see much more growth of his character if we could actually, like, really see it. Because I think he's pushed off to the side a lot. Yeah. Because everything is off
3: page. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I, my big one that I still cite is Ron's apparently amazing Quidditch skills at the end of book five. And Harry and Hermione are like, yeah, we were busy. Looking at Grop.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
3: And sadly, speaking of characters who have been pushed off the page. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I couldn't leave that one be. It was a perfect and tragically. Ah, uh, how he has been pushed off the page, quite literally, because we didn't even see him get pushed off the page. Mad Eye is dead to put it bluntly, as this book does. Yeah. And uh, we have actually a audio boom from Anne, also known as The Head Girl, who we see a lot of on our site, who has a question about Moody.
4: Hello, this is Anne, a.k.a. The Head Girl, and
0: I read something that I had to share. In Vampire Forensics by Mark Jenkins, he touches on creatures in ancient Greek mythology called Alastors. He says that Alistors are, quote, Avengers, like male furies. And he adds that Alistors are generally avenging things like neglected burial rites. Do you think that Joe was letting us know Moody's fate as soon as we met him? Looking forward to hearing what you guys think. I would totally agree with that.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, poor Moody. He's been through so much already. I think, and that, mm, I'm, I can't say for sure, because I, we've, we've kind of touched upon some characters already who may not. And we do know of some characters who weren't meant to die who died because actually the thing I think of is, um, you know, a lot of people thought, for example, that, uh, Peter Pettigrew's hand was going to be the thing that killed Lupin because traditionally silver kills werewolves.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: But right. that did not end up coming to fruition and rolling even confirmed on Pottermore that silver does not kill werewolves in her universe. Um... So I don't know if that was necessarily planned that far ahead. Anne's question, though, does lead into a another big thing with Moody's death, which is I do have to ask, what were your reactions to Moody's death? Because I do think that this one, this gets a different response from a lot of other deaths in the series. I think it's shocking, but not unexpected.
4: Yeah, my thoughts exactly. I'm not I wasn't like, oh, Mad Eye's dead. boohoo. You know, yeah. it, it. I was kind of just like, oh, that sucks. He's a he was a good ally.
3: Yeah. <laughs> not like,
4: oh, I'm crying because mad Eye's dead.
3: Well, and I th- I've I've heard some people who have said that they are sad that Mad-Eye is dead. I was not one of them. My friends and I were like, oh, like <laughs> kind of collectively. Uh, why do you think the reason for that is?
2: We just don't get to know him. We only get to know like little Crouch as Moody. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
4: But we don't ever really get to know the real Moody. We really do get to know Junior better than we get to know Moody. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that it's Junior, and we're like, oh, okay, we don't really know you at all. And then the Moody we do meet is like, raw, 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 crabby old man. Yeah. <laughs> so we never, I mean, we know that he's a big deal, and he's a good ally for us. Mm-hmm. But we don't get emotionally attached.
0: Yeah, and he's always been described as as a warrior, you know? And I think you almost expect the warrior to die. It's expected.
4: That's true.
0: So, I mean, the fact that it happened so suddenly is kind of shocking, but yeah, not unexpected.
3: Yeah. I think that's probably, well, and I think, I I think the big thing is actually, as you guys mentioned before, that it's, it's, it's that, I think a, a lot of readers at this point have that realization that they're like, Oh, we didn't really know real Moody. We had fake Moody and we have a pretty good impression of who that Moody was. Mm
4: -hmm. Which is why I'm always so surprised when people are like dying over Lupin's death because it's the same thing. Yes, we know Lupin a little bit better, but we still really don't know him.
3: I find that offensive. <laughs> so, we don't, though. I'm sorry, we don't.
4: We don't know Lupin. And We've talked about that before. Yeah. That people are always so surprised that they don't have such a close relationship. But It just we hurts don't We don't know more. him. I mean, obviously, by the end of this book, we know him better. And I'm not comparing him to Moody. I'm just saying it's the same type of situation.
3: We're, well, and we're going to get into that, actually. That, that'll come up with Lupin in just a moment. Um, but before we get to Lupin, we're going to kind of ponder about all the characters in terms of what happened with Moody because... Uh, Eileen Pr- underscore Prince Jones was wondering a few questions about who the leak is. So we've got an audio boom from her about that.
2: Hi, this is Eileen Prince Jones. I had a question about the Fallen Warrior chapter. Um, while in the burrow, Harry thinks back to when Hagrid accidentally gave away important information about Fluffy in the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, so my question is, are we supposed to think that Hagrid was the one who potentially gave Snape the actual date of Harry's departure. We know that Snape got the date from Dumbledore, but at this point in the book, we don't know that yet. So are we supposed to think it's Hagrid? Um, What were anybody else's theories on who the leak was at this point in the book? Um, I can't remember myself what I thought, so I was interested to see what anybody else's theory was at this point. Thanks.
3: So why I thought this audio boom was really interesting is because I forgot that this was even a mystery that got set up in the book, quite honestly. Probably because it's not actually really dwelled on, but I also forgot that the narration pins it on Hagrid pretty clearly.
4: Yeah, that happens a lot in these books. Poor Hagrid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hagrid gets blamed a lot. But more than setting this up as a mystery, I feel like this was almost leading into Harry's little statement later, where he says he trusts everyone.
3: Hmm. That's the more important element.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it was supposed to set up necessarily a mystery. I mean, obviously we don't know and we'll find out, but I think the more important aspect of it is what is that Harry is going to look around and critically think about all the people in this room and remember that, Yes, once Haggard did do that, but he still doesn't think he would give away this kind of information,
3: and that if he did, he wouldn't do it on purpose, yeah, actually, I think Allison, you're right in terms of that, and it it also does serve because what's interesting is that the characters immediately eliminate Mundungus as a possibility for the mole um and don't and say, "No, that's not possible. He couldn't have possibly given away, and while Mundungus isn't the mole, he's connected to the mole, so it almost drops that connection. Um, that's what I was going to say is that I feel like, like you were saying, Allison, that it doesn't necessarily set up a mystery that we really engage in. It's to me, it's almost, I guess the most equatable one from a previous book would be who sent the Dementors to little Winging in book five. Yeah. Mm. Because it's not really the overarching mystery of order of the Phoenix, but it's one of those things that you kind of forget about after the beginning. And then you get the answer later, um, purely for closure purposes. I don't think I was even intensely suspecting anybody in the the room as the mole when I first read it anyway. Anybody else?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I wasn't either. I wasn't either.
4: I don't remember. It feels like it was so long ago.
3: guess that speaks to the effectiveness of Harry's speech making. (laughs) (laughs) The other interesting thing to note about Mad-Eye's death is that Harry does reflect near the end of the chapter that Mad-Eye had, as the narration says, Mad-Eye had always been scathing about Dumbledore's willingness to trust people, uh, just I think some uh, a, a nice little nugget to keep in mind. It's it's because uh, I'm not too taken with this chapter. This is not one of my favorite chapters of Deathly Hallows. It's not one that I really remember a lot about. But what I realized this reread that Rowling does so excellently is she she does do a good job of sowing the seeds of doubt in your mind.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's
3: doing a lot. She's doing a lot of work here that I didn't realize before. Did anybody else? See that?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm. I'm curious though. That line <clears throat> is that Mad Eye, Mad Eye that Harry's talking about, or Junior? Oh. Huh. Hmm. Which well, Mad Eye? Like I, I'm trying to recall when Harry's been around the real Mad Eye and had conversations with Dumbledore or heard him talk about
0: that. And I, feel I like can't. There,
3: there might have been an order. Yeah, I can't remember it, but I feel like there is.
0: There's a chunk of time that it's assumed that Mad Eye comes in and out when they're cleaning the house, but the narrative just kind of skips over that and just tells us it happens, but not exactly what was happening. Yeah, but interesting that it it, it could be, it could be Barty Crouch Jr. It's almost, it's almost reaffirming just how good of a charade he was playing that year that he copied Mad-Eye so effectively that people still seem to think
3: he kind of is, you know, like that. Well, yeah, that we, the readers still kind of associate yeah. it that way, too.
4: It's just every time now, since we've talked about it so much, every time Harry mentions something Mad-Eye did or thought or said, I have to think, but was that Crouch or was it Mad-Eye? Because that changes the meaning of whatever yeah. Harry's thinking about.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's very true in relation to how much Dumbledore can be trusted in Dumbledore's actions. Very true. Right. We'll have Mm -hmm. to, listeners, if you're, if you're interested in going back and examining Harry's interactions with Mad Eye, both Crouch Jr. version and Mad Eye, Mad Eye, true Mad Eye, uh, we'd be fascinated to hear that and see what you find in the comments. Um, and, and the next point, because it's kind of just, seems to be pretty important to this chapter it's underlying this chapter a lot um is magic itself because magic is taking an interesting turn in this chapter now we get a few kind of fun little fact drops um one of them being that polyjuice potion is designed for human use only um fun little kind of confirmation we kind of got it in chamber of secrets with the whole don't use cat hair (laughs) <laughs> oh, poor Hermione. <laughs> but we also get confirmation that it really is purely for humans in this case. Um thanks to Lupin and Hagrid. Uh the the other interesting point, uh and Allison you kind of touched on this earlier. Uh it's it's a quote that kind of struck me on page 68 when Harry and Hagrid first arrived to the Burrow. Um it, the narration talks about Molly and Hag- Hagrid asks for a drink and she says she'll go get him one. And then Harrison says, she could have summoned it by magic, but as she hurried back toward the crooked house, Harry knew that she wanted to hide her face. And like a, like you were saying earlier, Allison, the interesting idea that magic is starting to show that it doesn't solve all problems anymore.
5: Hmm.
3: Perhaps uh, a, a moment where these characters, a character like Molly Weasley who uses magic in her everyday life um, very casually doesn't use magic because she's overcome with emotion. Uh, I just thought it was worth noting because I think we're going to see that a lot more in Deathly Hallows. That magic doesn't solve our problems anymore. But before we go on to our last point, I know that actually we had an audio boom from somebody in this room. Who could it be? Who's the audio boom? Who's the leak? It's it's <laughs> Stephanie, guys. Stephanie sent us an audio boom. But she's here, so she can just bring up her point. What a treat.
5: Oh yay. Audio
3: boom live. Unplugged. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> but not really. Please you please never... don't unplug anything. We need everything
2: um, okay so what I found uh, was really interesting in this chapter was how Harry tries to tell everybody how his wand acted on its own accord um, that we see it admits you know the golden spell that comes out of his wand uh, to fend off Voldemort but no one is believing him mm-hmm. you know Hermione thinks that he does magic without meaning to and then Arthur thinks that Harry was under so much stress that he was able to produce magic that he never dreamt of but I'm just curious as to why no one is still like not believing Harry. Like after he's been through everything and people have seen that he has been right, that they're still not believing
4: him.
3: Isn't it amazing that practitioners of magic find this unbelievable?
4: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's unbelievable that they find it unbelievable.
3: Yeah. This is crazy. I, I can't think of a justification for your question.
0: I think because (laughs) it's so outside the realm of normal magic and after everything that's just happened to all of them, no one's going to go off speculating right now. I mean, everyone's exhausted. I and it seems so outside that it's, it's kind of told to us that it's so outside of what normally happens with magic, that everyone's just like, Harry, you just don't know what you're talking about. Like you just panicked. Everyone panics. We're all panicking, and <laughs> they just kind of say, we're not even going to think about it right now. We don't even have mental capacity right now to think about this problem so we're just i gonna... just
4: remember thinking where's dumbledore when you knew yeah him? harry
3: thought the same thing
4: because yeah. dumbledore maybe dumbledore wouldn't have had the answers but he would have indulged harry and maybe talked to him about it got a little more information and came up with some crazy theory about some weird witch you know five million years ago that this happened to or something you know i just i remember thinking and feeling that for harry That he just needs an ally, somebody to believe him.
3: Well, and of course we know that since we don't have Dumbledore, the only remaining vestige of Dumbledore is his portrait, and the portrait has an inkling based on Dumbledore's thoughts of why this happened. So somebody out there does have kind of an answer. So in in a sense, Dumbledore does already have the answer. Um, and we can't have it yet. Because, of course, even, you know, it, it's interesting, Kat, that you kind of suggested that Dumbledore would at least come up with some example or even make something up just to placate everybody. Yeah. Because I think he'd have to, because this is the mystery. Like, this is it. Right? It leads too closely to the answer of what's going on here.
4: And I think it's great, too. Um, I was looking at this. So the the opposite chapter for Circle Theory in this book is the Elder Wand. Um, so I thought it was just funny that you know, the the discussion about kind of magnificent wands Mm -hmm. and the way that they do magic Mm -hmm. happens in those two chapters.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, as we see at the end with Ollivander, there's really, it is, um, I guess, to answer the question, Stephanie, it is just so far out of the realm of possibility, even for wizards. Because even Voldemort and Ollivander don't think this is something that could happen. So, and, the, and Vo- Ollivander, probably the biggest expert on ones we have. So. But the other interesting thing with this, and the, the, that ties into this, this lack of belief towards Harry, the quote I pulled um, is kind of in this moment, and Harry thinks to himself he hated the idea that they were all imagining him to have power to match Voldemort's. And I think there's, there's some stuff that mixes in with this discussion. This leads really well, I think, into the next, the last major point, which is about Harry. Um, it always seems to be left to the last minute is poor <laughs> Harry himself. Nobody wants to talk about that. Um, there's, there's a lot here going on with Harry. And we talked a little bit about last week. There were a lot of references we could find to Harry as a parallel for Jesus. First of all, before I even go there, thoughts on that? Just general thoughts. Harry being Jesus? Harry is, a, Harry is an allegory for Jesus.
4: How long you got? <laughs> <laughs> do you,
3: I guess the quick quick question is, do you, re, can you read it that way? Do you guys think that's a valid interpretation?
4: I think most things are a valid interpretation. Um, I do too. And that's kind of I the beauty of don't. Harry Potter. Yeah. Um. So I feel like I could argue either side of that. Mm-hmm argument of that Yeah.
0: Name. I would say I definitely see it just because it is such a it is such an archetype throughout everything. And these are very the series very much follows archetypal patterns and that's like the ultimate of this archetype, you know. So definitely see those parallels there, yeah.
3: Because we're getting such interesting quotes about Harry. This the one that I just read, you know, again about Harry Hating the idea, Harry's, Harry hating the idea that he is some kind of savior, which not only I think would go with Jesus, but there's a lot of biblical tales about individuals who are told oh, yeah. that they have power and reject that power or told that they have the potential to have power and they don't want it. Moses is probably the one that comes to my head, first and foremost, because I love that story. Um, but there's, there's a lot of biblical I, I I even see that you could extend this beyond the Jesus story to many biblical stories. Um, we also get the fantastic drop that nobody comments on, but it's a fantastic line that kind of everybody, you know, I think a lot of readers take to heart is when, uh, Her- Lupin and Kingsley see each other and point their wants to test each other, that they're the true individuals. And Kingsley asks what Dumbledore was the last thing that Dumbledore said to them. And Lupin says, Harry is the best hope we have. Trust him. Uh, so yet again, this... Not only are we built up, you can't, in a way, you kind of can't blame the characters for thinking that Harry might have this secret power lying within him, which he does. So they're not wrong in that respect. And the other thing, so, you know, again, listeners, I feel you can go wild with that one because we're going to be talking about that, I think, a lot more as the chapters go on. And Harry, of course, will have his Jesus moment, as I call it. Um, But... I think we're seeing that already because the other thing that I thought was interesting that we don't have to go too far into, but, uh, on page 74, uh, in response to, I believe hearing that somebody's okay, might be something about Frederick George, but, or one of the other individuals, Harry says, thank God. And that's not something we hear very often in the Harry Potter series. Is it?
4: No. Where, where is that? What page is that? Isn't that Molly? I just need to read the context.
0: I think it's it's maul when Harry. someone gets...
3: It's about the ear. She says, I can't make it grow back, not when it's been removed by dark magic, but if it could, it could have been so much worse. He's alive. Yeah, said Harry. Thank God. Capitalized, G. Mm. Huh. I I just, you know, thinking about these biblical parallels and then that, because we've discussed before about whether, whether wizards have religion or not. Right. And then, of course, the reveal... And a friendly reminder from Ben's username that there are Jewish kids at Hogwarts. We definitely know that.
4: <laughs> right.
3: So I think, you know, I don't really know where to take that discussion, but I kind of feel like listeners uh, go wild because that's going to be a big deal as we go on throughout the series. And I think, I feel like I'm, sp- I'm personally spotting more of those as I read because of Rowling's discussions about this post-Deathly Hallows. She's talked a lot since then about how her views on religion and how religion affected the Harry Potter series. In some ways, whether she wanted it to or not. So, keep an eye out, listeners. The other probably important things about Harry to touch on, uh, we touched a little bit already on Harry's self-doubt, and I think, Alison, as you mentioned, the speech is is a great moment for Harry, um... I do wonder you know that's something do you guys do you guys feel like Harry is starting to learn that this this is bigger than just him, or is he still grappling with that issue?
0: I think he's starting to expand it out um,
3: finally after seven years,
0: right um <laughs> I still think he sees himself and Voldemort as the center of this whole thing, and sometimes he gets too focused on that center to see everything circling around him because of it Mm -hmm. but I think in moments like this, in moments like when he says he trusts his friends he understands that the only reason he's still alive in the center of this whole conflict is because he's had people backing him up and is because he has these people surrounding him and lifting him up and supporting him and I think he's definitely starting to recognize that even more than he ever has
3: do you think he do you think we see evidence of him coping with that a little better through through the rest of Deathly Hallows or no?
0: Yeah, because I think we see his guilt more. Um he it's some of the it's the most like emotional writing, I think, to some extent, that we get of Harry's inner feelings is when all of a sudden he's just so afraid and he's guilty that he looks around and says, Any of these people could die and it would be my fault. And it would mm. be because they're here supporting me and they're doing these things for me and they could be dead and everyone who loves them would would be in grief because because of Harry.
5: Mhm.
3: Yeah.
4: Can can you repeat your original question?
3: Just that does Harry is Harry um is Harry growing in terms of understanding the conflict is bigger than him as an individual? Because that's what the characters confront him with at the end of this chapter. I see it as because the, he he wants to leave, um, he wants to leave the borough for fear of endangering all of them, and they say, "Well, it's not really just about that."
4: I tend to think that Harry doesn't get it mm-hmm. until it's done, mm. um, or very near, close to that, because, um, he does still try to do things like. Run away and you know, not involve other people in what's happening. and I think that it doesn't hit him until I think really until very near until very near the end um, when he when he realizes that all of these other people unbeknownst to him, because outside of the order there are still people. You know, rebelling and fighting, I assume. Yes. There ha- there must be. And I, Harry doesn't see any of that because he's in his little hairy bubble. And that doesn't get any better once they're out camping. And as much as he, I think, subconsciously knows that it's not about just himself in all of this, um, I don't think that that hits him until, until much later. When they're actually back in the world and they, until I think maybe when they get to Hogwarts, when they get back to Hogwarts later and he sees how much that life has changed and that it had nothing to do with him.
3: I was going to say, I almost feel like, and maybe I'll have to confirm this when we get there, but I almost feel in a weird way, like his final, final confirmation of that and his final true understanding of that is not only what drives him to go into the forest, but also what he realizes in the forest. mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah. Because he even realizes that these people who died didn't die just for him. Right. They died for a larger cause. So... But I, I, I'm kind of... A, I, I want to make sure listeners remind me to reassess that when we get to the later chapters.
2: I think that goes back to the part of... Um, I think you guys discussed it a, a couple episodes ago of Harry being on a team or being by himself, yes. the lone hero. Yes. I think this totally fits well with it because, you know, he goes this whole time either he's having a hard time having them be on a team, like being on a team with other people. And then finally at the end, he's like, you know, he, he knows what he has to do and... He accepts everything. So I think he's having a hard time grasping it here. But I think at the end, I agree with all of you guys that he understands it.
3: Well, yeah, because it, with you and Kat kind of saying that he gets it closer to the end, I think of like the moment that comes to my head is when Ron pulls him out of the pool um after he gets the sword and he was like, what were you doing? And he's <laughs> like, I had to take my clothes off and be chivalrous to go get the sword. It was required. <laughs> and Ron's like, that's crazy. You did not have to do that. So there is still, like, even that far down the line, we're still having... Harry's still having that issue. Of,
4: Baltimore. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> whoa, whoa. Voldemort. Sorry. Voldemort? Where? Where? <laughs> Where's Taboo?
4: No, it was my... that had, Like, my iPad sometimes... If it doesn't scroll properly, so it um' because it's so old, oh you so hit it thinks word. I'm highlighting something yes. and then it talks okay. <laughs> <I'm> sorry
2: <laughs> <laughs> that happens to me a lot,
4: and I mean, <laughs> I thought your iPad got
2: angry and just said,
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's trying to out your location
3: to the death eaters cat <laughs> I know whoops <laughs> uh, the other thing I just have to touch on because loop and love, but maybe not so much here. I'm sure this is going to open the listeners up to a lot of different hashtags for Lupin coming up in these next chapters. But uh, Lupin has two major kind of discussions with Harry. The first one being, why did you use Expelliarmus? That was dumb. You need to be prepared to kill. And Harry brings up the counter-argument of, do you want me to become a killer? Or do you want me to become equatable to Voldemort? And which puts Lupin kind of at ease on that one. And the second one, which is uh, about Lupin actually comparing Harry to James and for the first time doing it so in a derogatory way. um, Where he is actually saying, James had an unvaluable trust in his friends. Look where that got him.
0: Oh, I never read it that way.
3: The narration pretty much suggests that that's what he meant. Correct?
0: Well... I, I never saw it that way. I always saw him as saying, this is one of the first... T- I feel like Lupin usually sees Lily in Harry more than he sees James. Mm. And so I think this is a moment that Lupin says, oh yeah, you you belong to James too. Like you've got James's personality in you as well as Lily's. And I don't think Lupin sees that in Harry very often. And so,
3: yeah. That is interesting because I think that's... I, well, and I think that does feed into this, because Harry, when compared to James, is used to being favorably compared, except when it's from Snape. That's probably the only, like, comparison to James where he doesn't come off well. But Harry doesn't take that with a grain of salt. Um, but it says here, uh, let's see, No, I think you're like James, said Lupin, who would have regarded it as the height of dishonor to mistrust his friends. Harry knew what Lupin was getting at, that his father had been betrayed by his friend peter pettigrew he felt irrationally angry he wanted to argue but lupin turned away from him so that's why i picked that up in the narrative as this is not meant to be a compliment
0: yeah no i can definitely see it i definitely see it i just guess i've always i've always read it as harry almost overreacting <laughs> to what um to what lupin was saying and lupin not necessarily meaning it that way, but I can definitely see what you're saying,
3: though. L- l- ladies, Stephanie cat, because I think he meant it that way.
4: Oh, one gajillion, trillion, <laughs> billion yes. percent. Oh, he meant I would that totally way. agree with that. Yeah. I think that um, Lupin, above anybody else living,
5: mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> knows James inside and out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the closest of friends kind of, but Lupin was always the observer. Yeah. And I feel like, so while maybe James and Sirius were the closest of friends and the best friends in that group, I think Lupin kind of knows their intricacies more and how they think and how they act. And, um, how they would have reacted to situations, because usually the observer, the person who observes, will learn a little bit more about the people than necessarily interacting with them mm-hmm. and I think that's very much Lupin um yeah i I love that moment, and I like that Lupin is like, i'm saying this to you, and the conversation is done, like not arguing, we're not discussing it, done. Yeah. This is a teaching moment. Yes. Professor Lupin right there. Ah. Yes. I completely
2: agree with that. I think think Lupin is very disappointed with Harry and how he acted, and I think he's kind of showing him that.
4: He is shocked. Like, after all the crap you went through that one year that I was in that school, never mind all the other years, like, he's telling him to grow up, man up, stop being – and I hate that term, man up, just for the record. Woman up. But, like – yeah, yeah, woman up and just like stop being ignorant because you know what is at risk here. And I think that that plays into the question you asked us, you know, 5 minutes ago or whatever that Harry just doesn't get it. He's not there yet. He doesn't get it.
3: Yeah, cuz I think the thing we're going to that I'm in, I'm interested to examine with the 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 whole show, the listeners and the hosts is because I think a lot of the fandom was pretty taken aback by lupin's behavior in this book but i actually don't feel it's unjustified neither i don't either i think that lupin is almost almost 100 percent unjustified in the things that he does there's a there's a little bit of gray in some of the things but especially with his views on harry's actions i think even if they even if harry's way turned out right in the end i don't think that necessarily invalidates lupin's statements um but I do think it's interesting, and again, that ties into the Jesus stuff, because Harry very, very strongly advocates for nonviolence um, against Lupin, which is something we haven't really seen before. Especially because Harry kind of considers Lupin somebody who taught him defensive magic rather than offensive. Um But it's almost like Lupin's like... So I left Hogwarts, and what happened to your education after that? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but there's things to, I think there's a lot to explore. We're going to see a lot more of Harry and Lupin's relationship. And a lot of people cite the bribe as the chapter where that begins to fall apart. But I believe it is actually right here. Um Yeah,
4: I would agree with that, actually.
3: That, that relationship Yeah, I,
4: I think that... um
2: so to go with Harry and Lupin's relationship, like I just feel like they don't know each other that well. So I feel mm-hmm. like they have like this like ideal image of each other, and I think Lupin is disappointed with the ideal of Harry's image right now. And Harry is so shocked that Lupin would do it because his ideal Lupin would be like all forgiving, all and in- happy that he's still just alive.
4: Another, yes. Yeah. <laughs> how you are. How... You hit it on the nose. Yeah. yeah I think no, that's. that's... It. Yeah.
3: How interesting that because I don't think that's something we consider a lot that Harry that Lupin idolizes Harry as much as Harry idolizes Lupin. How well, it's it's
0: a continuation of his idolization of James, I think.
3: Mm. Do you think it's in a different way than Sirius?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They yeah. had different I think all all four of the Marauders I feel like had different relationships with each other. Mm. And so I definitely see Lupin as very admiring towards James. And I think James is very admiring of Lupin. And so I feel like this is a continuation and Remus is wanting that same relationship. Like Sirius. He wants that same relationship back because it ended too soon and too suddenly. Yeah. And I think like Sirius, he continues that relationship through Harry, which isn't necessarily mm-hmm. fair. See, I think I agree that they
4: I think they all have different relationships, but I never thought of Lupin as somebody who admired James. I always saw uh, the Lupin James relationship more of a um, this is I I like this person and they're friendly and they're kind behind closed doors. But who they are is not who I want to be more of a um, again, kind of a learning moment lupin like james through james's actions towards snape and the other people in his life lupin learned who not to be yeah i think well i personally
3: well and i think the thing we often forget too that might have appealed as well to lupin for for uh, as far as james and sirius goes is that and and it's mentioned in the books and it's never really elaborated on which i think is a and I think has been affected severely by fan fiction, but James and Sirius were very smart. And Lupin does appreciate intellectual individuals, at least from what we see. He seems, and in a way, he does seem to value that Harry, he idealizes Harry's intellectual qualities, perhaps, because he's seen a lot of that in Prisoner. Um, you know, we, I think the, the favorite scene to cite perhaps is the, the thing you fear is fear itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lupin thinks that's very profound, but I think, just like you guys are saying, Lupin is finding that Harry maybe doesn't see the world that way all the time, or they don't see eye-to-eye eye in that way all the time. Perhaps. So. And just as a fun little side note, Harry drinks for the first time. It's fire whiskey. They have it at the Wizarding World. Apparently, it tastes like a fireball. Give it a shot if you're there and you can drink, I guess. Um, <laughs> the book seems to really like drinking, and <laughs> this particular book really likes drinking.
4: <laughs> uh, I know that I do. <laughs> I don't. I... So they're finally of <laughs> wizarding legal age. So yeah, oddly enough, not legal age in the UK, but
3: legal age uh, in the wizarding the world. And yeah. I do think I—I I always did find that kind of funny. Maybe as a younger reader, I don't really know what to think of it now. I do think it's fascinating that she does go so deeply into the effects of alcohol on an individual. Um, because some people do consider alcohol to be a stimulant. Um, so it is, it's kind of funny to read it that way, especially considering that I have little seven and eight year olds who come into the library and have read the whole series. And they're (laughs) like, fire whiskey, what's that? So you'll learn someday, kids. (laughs)
1: Uh,
3: and we end the chapter with kind of the question, uh, 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 a big question that Hermione raises, which we will be pondering throughout this book, I believe. But whether Harry should be taking advantage of his connection with Voldemort or if he should cut the cord and be trying harder because Hermione presents that this shouldn't be happening. But Harry does say that the information is valuable. And so ends Fallen Warrior. Not the Fallen Warrior. (laughs) Because that's somebody else apparently.
4: (laughs) Somebody else, that's right. So I guess we'll move on to this week's podcast question of the week since Michael left the chapter. So lovely, open ended, um, which is perfect because our question kind of goes right along that uh right along that river. We're we're on the same train, right on the track.
3: Well, we right were on we road. were in a river and then we got on a train. <laughs> yep. <Now we're> a <laughs> road. This is quite a journey yep. we're taking.
4: It is yes, it's and quite it. a road. <laughs> yes.
3: mm-hmm.
4: it is. Ha ha. But um, okay. So we are going to talk about. Um, that little that little moment right at the end, the connect or disconnect, as Michael just said. So our question this week to you, our listeners, is this. Back in Order of the Phoenix, Dumbledore tried and failed to get Harry to learn Occlumency from Snape. His failings are brought up again here at the end of the chapter via Hermione. She reminds Harry that Dumbledore wanted him to close his mind and shut Voldemort out. Hermione, in this moment, is following what she believes is Dumbledore's plan. To shut out Voldemort, find the Horcruxes, destroy Voldemort. Harry is also in this moment following what he believes is Dumbledore's plan. By any means possible, destroy Lord Voldemort by learning about Tom Riddle, finding, and destroying the Horcruxes. So while we know that these, quote, Horcrux visions do help in the end, we also know that Voldemort has taken advantage of this connection in the past. <laughs> R. E. <A>. P. serious. <laughs> Do Hermione's intentions in this moment still seem like the best course of action? Does Occlumency still seem like a skill that Harry should be honing and practicing and trying to learn? And if Dumbledore were alive, would he still advocate for it? I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about this because I have lots of feelings. And when we were formulating this question, we all had different opinions on it. (laughs) So I have a feeling it's going to be a wide... Uh, sample of reactions this week so head over to alohomora.mugglenet.com leave your reactions send us an audio boom if you like as well and you know we might read them on next week's episode
3: i'm sending i'm sending stephanie in specifically to shake up this question of the week you guys. <laughs> she's she's got her eye on you this week
4: that's right <laughs> oh yeah yeah, n- none of this, like, yes, obviously, he should keep using it, we know
3: that he keep using <laughs> None it, of that.
4: We know
0: that. Div- that. Dig a little deeper, guys. Dig a little deeper. You got this. All right, well, then I guess all that's left is for us to thank Stephanie for joining us. Thank you so much for contributing. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate being on the show.
3: Go put that you fire had out. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs>
3: it's ever burning. Ever burning.
4: You're lucky. The uh, The Giants would really like you then.
3: Yes, that's very true. So maybe she can get the Giants to come to our side. I'm ass- That'd be nice. I'm assuming that. she works for the good side since she's a Hufflepuff.
2: Oh, definitely for the Yay. good side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, listeners, if you are on the good side or the bad, because we seem to get a lot of good and not too much bad, but we'd like to have more of both, come on to the show with us and talk about Harry Potter <laughs> uh be on, you can check out how to do that with the be on the show page hello if you set if you have a set of headphones with a built-in mic or if you have a mic on built into your computer or laptop uh as well as a uh recording program on your computer you're pretty much all set we don't require anything super fancy and while you're on the alohamora main site figuring out how to get on the show uh download a ringtone from us because they're free And again, as we always stress in Deathly Hallows, please make sure to send in your auditions if you want to audition. Because this is your—we're getting down to your last chance. I know that uh, Stephanie took the leap, and she got on the show. So
4: we might have a few things up our sleeves for After Hallows, but we're not going to tell you about
3: this. Yeah, we're not. We're just going to—we're just go off of the assumption (laughs) that you can't get on the show because we want you on the show. So you can't get on the show after Deathly Hallows because we want to hear your thoughts. So Absolutely. please submit your auditions now at alohomora.mugglenet.com.
4: And in the meantime, of course, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter at MN. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash openthedumbledore. On Tumblr at Podcast. And wait, guys, actually, we have an Instagram now that I'm going to look up while I'm right here on the phone. Because oh. sadly, I can't remember... Uh, if it's a lohamora or lohamora mn, hmm. it's a lohamora mn. So find us on Instagram. We have a really awesome person um, managing that for us, and we're all on there too, well, except Michael because he doesn't have a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> so.
3: come Sorry, December. <laughs>
4: oh, soon you're getting there. Good. And when Michael gets a smartphone, he can call our phone number, which is two zero six go 462 two zero six four six two five two eight seven. But he can always just log right onto the website and leave us an audio boom because he has internet and a microphone, and that's all you need to leave one. <laughs> Head over to com. click the little record button in the uh, right-hand menu, and keep your message under 60 seconds. It can be anything, uh, a, a song, a reaction, a uh, um, um I just really want to hear songs, so like another limerick or a (laughs) haiku would be really cool. Um, But anything you want to send us, send it in. We'll listen to it. And if we love it, we'll play it on the show. That's
3: what Michael would have trouble with is keeping his audio booms under 60 seconds.
4: Yeah, you and Eric. (laughs) Yeah, me and Eric. (laughs) You guys could just do one together, and then people would be like, is it Eric? Is it 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 (laughs) Michael?
3: Except Kat, she'd be like, I know which one is which.
4: I do. I can tell you guys. I don't have a and I also pronounce Voldemort without the T, you so do. I'm fancy.
3: Like like JK Rowling. Yeah. To be in a class. I got,
4: you know, uh just this has nothing to do with anything. I got so many tweets About from that. people <laughs> yep. that were tagging JK Rowling like Kat and Aloha Mora says it right and I was like, I felt so validated. <laughs> I can't even tell you. It was a very validating moment. So
3: thank you everybody. Uh- how do you say "axio," J.K. Rowling? Because am I the only one who says it like an "x"? Ax- <laughs> Please and thank you.
0: <laughs> I would, you know, she listens, so she's totally going to answer.
3: Thank you.
5: you.
0: <laughs> Next Twitter response in the whole internet world will go and say, <laughs> um, yep, even much. though that information probably came out a long time ago, uh, <laughs> and while you are being fabulous and saying Voldemort's name, right? And visit our (laughs) store. That was really lame. I'm so sorry. Um, Visit our store where we've got all sorts of things, including house shirts, um, desk pig, Mandrake liberation front, Minerva is my home girl, and so much more. It's starting to be fall and we have long sleeve shirts. So go get some so you can be cozy when it gets cold.
3: And all of you people out there with your smartphones, unlike me, can download our smartphone app. Which is available around the world, around the world. <laughs> I
4: love it when you guys world. actually sing
3: that. <laughs> it's not my favorite Daft Punk song, but it's, a, it's not bad. <laughs> Prices vary depending on your location. Around the world, around the world. And if you look up the app, around the world, you'll find the same content, which is transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and so much more on the alohomora. Well, we had
4: a we out. had a super good discussion this week about Marvel, <coughs> so I have a feeling that's going to end up yeah um, on the app. That'll that's a good
0: up. one.
3: Yes, thank you, the head girl, for letting us totally destroy your audio <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm <laughs> yes, sorry, I was it's my by fault. You,
5: and... <laughs> we
3: we we interpreted it just a tad differently than you did. <laughs> just a tad.
4: All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna fly out of here um, on our. Motorcycle. <brr* brr brr*. <laughs> I'm Kat Miller.
3: I'm Michael Harley.
0: I'm Alison Sigurd. Thank you for listening to episode 155 of Alohomora. Hurry! Give me a hand. And Open the dashboard door.
4: oh no hello hello oh she's
2: here okay i'm here hold on am i here yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry i hit my mute button for a second and i didn't turn it back Go
4: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> oh god stephanie i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> it's okay it's par for the course on this show yeah. it's,
2: <laughs> it's okay I, I wasn't really i wasn't really doing too much i was about, just like, hanging death out death
3: and stuff and then stephanie's just like disappear
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> yep. Mhm.